Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we look back at the movies of 1999 from a galaxy far far away here <laughs> in 2018 well played well played i'm one of your hosts kenny nybar i'm phil Iskov. and with us today is eric carrasco Hi. a writer on supergirl and a star wars aficionado or so the I've biggest star wars fan i know which is sort of i mean that I don't know what that we means. I don't know what that means. We know means. so many big Star Wars fans. We have so, that so many. Something. But, I mean, there was no question in my mind when this episode, when it was clear that we were going to be doing this podcast and that yeah. this episode was going to happen, there was no one else that I could ask to do this other than Eric. Because I think I Eric, also kind of shouted at you. <laughs> there was, there was no one, question that... If you've ever that... wanted me on your podcast, <laughs> it's this one now. But this yeah. is... All right, yeah. so let's lay it out. Yeah. Huge this is we're doing a uh, Star Wars episode one Phantom Menace. That's today, right. Star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace, obviously a huge movie, kind of a huge movie for this podcast. It's nothing to me. It's nothing yeah. like the rest of these movies in this year. Totally agree. It's its own thing. It's part of a big franchise, biggest box office hit of the year, most anticipated yeah. movie, literally of all time. Probably. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't even think it's a question. And yeah, I mean. Um, the only one that might give it a run for its money is The Force Awakens, which is maybe uh, the Force within Awakens, its own fucking you know, thing. So, and of course, Dudley Do Right, but <laughs> <laughs> the podcast that everyone can't. We're wait just to listen talking to about it. the podcast Dudley Do Right. But Eric, it's great to have you 
And congratulations on getting this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's a dream come true, guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh, thank this you. is going to be the first episode I don't listen to. Because it's, really? It's going to be like an hours-long voicemail. It's like when you hear your voice oh, and so you're much. like, that's what I sound yeah. like. But yeah. now it's yeah. for the world. I mean, you're going to have to listen to the beginning of it and then you'll just cover yours and scream and turn it off. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's, Melissa that's Laura, literally my roommate, Eric's very good friend. Mm-hmm. I literally, when, when we did our Notting Hill Runaway Bride thing, I pressed play on the episode and she was just like, nah, and she like just couldn't. It was like, she just had feel to, that. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Before we do yeah. Yeah. this podcast, let's talk to Eric a little bit. So Eric, where were you in 1999? I was in line for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of, I, I really, no, I really did. I was, so I was 10 years old. Okay. I loved the movies of 1999, but I sure. think the ones that you kind of appreciate is the the Eyes Wide Shut and sure. the elections of this <laughs> year that are some of my favorites from this year now. That was not what I was in this year for. Sure. This year was, to me, The Matrix, The Mummy, and Star Wars. And yeah. Those were, and literally, we were playing, like, we were going to the park and playing Run From Phone Booth to Phone Booth before the agents get you Matrix games. And, Amazing. And, like, lightsaber battle. Like, sure. yeah. choreographed backyard videos of lightsaber And you had and a stuff. double lightsaber, I'm assuming, right? That was the, that was $30 for the electronic Darth Maul lightsaber, because it had uh-huh. two blades. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was a little bit more plastic. Right. Sure. I had the Qui-Gon Jinn. That was oh, okay. $20. And Dearly departed. Dearly departed. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler Spoilers. Um, where are you from? <laughs> I am from uh, Southern California, a mm-hmm. very, very small town called Menifee, which is okay. not particularly well known for much. We banned the Merriam-Webster Dictionary once is sort of a fun you, fact. You banned it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. There was a <laughs> way down way. with words. <laughs> Screw the English language. From out elementary schools. It was after my time in uh-huh. elementary what school. Was the, what was the theory behind that? Uh, there was a definition of, I want to say, cunnilingus that parents found uh, objectionable. And so they threw out words. The entire dictionary? All words. <laughs> <laughs> all words must go. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of mad. Throwing the baby with the bathwater, guys. Yeah. So all words you know, were banned. There's, these, there's this thing called whiteout. You just yeah. go through it. And, uh, um, Amazing. Or don't. Or don't or censor any words. Or don't censor any words. Kenny is sex positive here on No redactions. No. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, and all right. So here's the, here's the, the other kind of question about this. What, uh, what was it kind of, what was your experience with Star Wars before The Phantom Menace? What made you so excited about this particular movie? So my first, and, and I, I think I've sort of said this in relation to the, the Supergirl uh, job before, is I have a first memory. Uh, the, the first one that I'm sure is not like a compost of people telling me things and family videos and stuff. Uh, my first memory that I know is actually mine was watching a double feature of Superman the movie mm-hmm. and Star Wars, like the very first thing. New Hope. But we watched Superman, yes, of the New Hope. And we watched Superman first. So by the time we got to Star Wars, I was like, I want to say three years old, four sure. years mm-hmm. old. And so I fell asleep when the droids are wandering Tatooine. So, like, yeah. fell asleep during my first time I think Star many Wars. people did. I was going to say, because it's underratedly a really boring first hour. <laughs> it's it's a very long time before <laughs> they're on the Millennium Falcon. It's, it's an interminable first hour. <laughs> <first time. laughs> um, but, yeah, it was kind of... My mom is a very, very big uh, Star Wars fan, and uh, it was indoctrinated very early mm-hmm. and started, you know, I watched a worn out Betamax of Return of the Jedi just over and over and over again. And do uh, you remember finding out that episode one was happening, that the prequels were happening? Yes. Great question. We were all incredibly (laughs) 
plugged in to Star Wars again because in 97 the special yes. editions came out. You could go I see you saw them the theatrically. Yeah. I did so too. I, I saw them all in the theaters too. That was yeah. really the... No, I had seen them previously, but I was so excited to see them in the theaters. I don't yeah. think I had seen... I know I had not seen a, a New Hope and Empire in the theater. I, I feel like before I, I was like those special te- editions. There's one shot in <clears throat> A New Hope that's my maybe my favorite kind of shot in movies. It's Luke in the desert in that I'm I'm sure you know the vehicle's name. In the land speeder, the, the yeah, it's yes. just like racing across yeah. the flats at fucking magic hour with <laughs> the music uh, and the two great. moons. Yeah. It's so good. That's my favorite shot. I remember seeing that on the big screen, starting to tear. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's I mean. It, and that's that's a testament to the series as a whole. Like when there's moments like that, these operatic, but yet surprisingly grounded. Like it just yeah. it feels so real. It's a thing that these movies can deliver <clears throat> over and over again. Yeah, because like I I get a little misty every time I see the binary sunset with Luke walking yeah. out. Same movie, right? He walks yeah. out and both yeah. the suns are setting. And the score, fucking when John Williams Yoda just, pulls yeah. the X wing from the swamp in Empire. Yeah. Like these yeah. are like big yeah, big yeah, moments, and they're very small at the same time. Yeah. So I don't really want to get off the biographical yet, but I do want to segue nicely. Because you know, I'm great at podcasting. Uh, Jesus, do you feel like Phantom Menace had those moments that you're just talking about? It has a couple. Okay, it has a couple. I honestly, I mm. think when the doors open to reveal Darth Maul and the music and Duel of the Fates kicks in mm-hmm. there, I think that is absolutely magical for me. And I, I was just in a theater. I watched this on the big screen recently because there was a marathon at the El Capitan Theater of all the Star Wars movies before The Last Jedi, or all the, the saga movies. In, in I was sequence. going to say, including Rogue One? No. And they went in order, no. not in, not including the stand the, the standalone Star Wars At that Wars point, stories. there had only been one, but right. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so we watched... We didn't go to all of them because that would have required like overnight and we were very sleepy, but we did go to jobs, but yes, and we had, it was work school nights, but we did go to Phantom Menace and the audience, like granted these people were there for a Star Wars marathon. They're in the tank for these movies, but like there was a very palpable feeling that went through the theater when those doors open. And Mm -hmm. there's a couple moments during the pod race that always get like a gasp, but like maybe not the same level of like, I'm going to cry right now, but there's definitely some, some really, it's interesting that that you talk about how the first, you know, act of a new hope is Mm -hmm. pretty slow. Yeah. The first hour of Phantom Menace is fucking interminable. And, and and I say that just in the sense that it, it, the movie comes to life when the podcast happens, the podcast, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. pod race happens. And I will say that, and in rewatching this, maybe I did the, a, film, the, a disservice of watching it in two chunks. I watched the first half and the second half. When, when to your, your point, those doors open and essentially open on the last 35, 40 minutes of the movie, because from that point on, it's, it's, it's the it's cross cutting. It's scene. one big yeah. cross cutting sequence. The last 40 minutes of this movie are, are pretty solid i would i would even go as far as to say quite good i mm-hmm. it, it works for me in the last 40 minutes but the first hour is so rough that it to me anyway that that's one of the big problems with the film i think is that the, the pacing is wonky i don't know if you agree i i'm assuming you don't it, it depends on on how you mean wonky because like we said like you can go into a new hope and sort right. of pick apart structurally how it doesn't sort of match up with what we would kind of, but you wouldn't say the first hour of a new hope is really comparable to the first hour of phantom menace. I mean, very different, very different. Right. And and also, but I don't think I can set aside how ready I was for how the phantom menace looked. Oh yeah. 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 Which is to say like, we maybe can watch it now. Yeah. Having 
years and years since Phantom Menace to and have more had, movies. Yes, to have had action sequences that were like this, that yeah. were inspired by Wushu in the same way. They, they, mm-hmm. Like we have access now to so many more movies. Mm-hmm. At the time, all I had ever wanted was to see Jedi fight the way I had imagined Jedi fighting from the Star Wars novels, mm-hmm. from sure. the backstory that Alec Guinness talks about in that sure. first movie. And so we got that in this. So now you might be able to look at it, even in comparison to the other prequels, mm-hmm. and go like, the beginning of that is a little slow. When they're just trashing droids on that ship in the beginning, yeah. that was extremely exciting. Especially yeah, I, I mean, that. I, I just think so to, sorry, too, by the way. Just to just, and I, I don't, I don't disagree with you in 99, because I can tell you that from my personal experience, and then I'd love to hear, obviously, yours, Kenny, but for me... You know, I, I really like the Star Wars movies. I would never call myself even close to the fan that, that Eric is. Um, you know, I had seen all of them. I thought they were great. I, I was pulled into the anticipation of this film just like everybody else was, um, maybe more so. I mean, I, I this was before reserve seating. This was before you could buy tickets online. I waited for, honestly, I think four or five hours to get tickets. Then I had to wait another four or five hours to get seat. Like, I, it was it was a long process Mm -hmm. and i remember when the fucking star wars comes up and the place is just you know it's buzzing well there's a story about that about the the star wars hit at the beginning when it comes up uh that i i watched this movie last night kind of with the commentary on and there's Mm -hmm. like a a ben burt section where he's talking about test screenings of this movie uh in 1998 i guess or, or very early 99 maybe um and the number one note that was coming back when the movie started was the Star Wars logo hit is not working. It's it's it must not be loud enough. Maybe maybe the mix is off. The maybe screaming was so it loud. It needs then. to be louder. No, it was. And Ben Burt sort of theorizes that it was the weight of expectation. Like yeah. this movie had to deliver a feeling that people felt in 1977 when they had Jesus. never seen anything like this, or the combined wow. weight of all that. And he was looking at it and he was like. The Star Wars logo hits at exactly the same frame that it does in all the other movies. (laughs) It's exactly the same mix and volume. And in fact, this is the best mix, the best sound quality that has ever been in these movies. It's a completely imagined Mm. failing. And so they've like tweaked it and stuff. But like. But isn't that a perfect metaphor? That's a metaphor for the whole whole thing. thing. What this movie had to contend with is that. It's just, it's it's impossible. It's impossible that this film could. Except, okay, so let's talk about the. our, Our perception of the life of this movie. Sure. With fans, I'll use my own experience. Um, I did. I saw this either opening weekend or opening, e- either the opening night or I, I saw it within that first weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't a Star Wars fan to the extent you were. I'd never read a novel or anything that like that. Though I was really obsessed with the Nintendo game, the Nintendo sixty four game. Uh, was it the Shadows of the Empire? Yeah, one Shadows or? of yeah. the Empire. Which yeah. you know, it's kind of a weird thing because if you're not down with the novels, yep. You don't really know what you're doing. Mm. You're playing with you're playing with the characters, not any of the movies. <laughs> sure, sure. But it does kind of open this world up to you a little Dash bit. Dash Rendar. Yeah, Dash Rendar. Exactly. <laughs> so you're playing with Dash Rendar. Um, but uh, oh, so that man. was that was the extent of my Star Wars knowledge. But uh, I love the three movies, and I and I also love like kind of cultural moments. I do a podcast on them. So um, <laughs> it was something I looked for my whole life yeah. was that feeling of sitting in a theater and for the first time having the Star Wars hit and having an opening scroll, opening scroll, opening yeah. scroll. So, and I, and I think kind of to Eric's point, it did actually deliver on all the things I wanted in the moment. 
because all I wanted was a new Star Wars movie mm. that did Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. that had Star Wars people, that yeah. had Star Wars worlds, that had Star Wars ships. So it did all that stuff for me. And then I remember watching it once in college and being like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> and it was only like six months later because I was, yeah, right? This came out in 99. I guess it was a year and a half later. This came out in 99. I must have watched it in fall 2000. I remember where I was in my friend's room and just being like, oh my God, what, what, what did I like? What, what, what was wrong here? And I think that was kind of... It it, it, was, it took a, a good six months for people to start saying, no, this movie sucks. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly felt like... I mean, I remember being there. I, I It certainly was one of the first screenings in Toronto. I remember going with a, with a group of friends that were all, you know, big fans and, and very excited. And I remember just thinking, this is great. This is great. Like, I, I was just hook, line, and sinker. And, and I will say that there are some movies, and this happens less and less now because we are in such a tentpole franchise culture mm-hmm. where there's just no anticipation anymore. They're just like giving it to us whenever we want. Sometimes there is. Some, but not, uh, not as Bla- much. I think Black Panther had a lot of anticipation and... Well, but not in... Yes, but I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess what I mean is they're not... They've, they've, they've commodified and, and sort of condensed anticipation to its smallest possible... How, how, what's the littlest amount of time we can do this to get people excited? And, and that's a bummer. But, but all that being said, I, I was absolutely... This movie was impossible to fail. For some people. And it was impossible to fail for me in the sense that I was like, this is going to be great. Like, what could be bad about this? I saw it three times in the theater in 99. I was, I yeah. was all about this. I bought the DVDs. I mean, I was in. And then I honestly think I started, you know, I started film school in 1999. By 2002, Phantom Menace was, was a black spot on the Star Wars series. And then Attack of the Clones comes out and does not reverse the trend. Attack of the Clones is the first Star Wars movie that people didn't like in the moment. Because they yes. were primed and I, But I think there's this collective memory of <clears throat> Phantom Menace yeah. that people walked out of the theater like yeah. furious that Star Which Wars is not was true. ruined. Yeah. And it not, is not simply true. not true. Yeah. It is not yeah. my experience in the theater. It is not any yeah. of my friends. When they actually interrogated yeah. and think back, yeah. everybody walked out of there sure. making lightsaber noises. Yeah. You know, it, and so... The, it was. It, I will say, though, critically... Not the greatest reviews. I mean, I, I did obviously a little bit of research. I, I did some digging. Ebert was very kind to it. A lot of pretty big critics were kind to it. But for the most part, pretty middling reviews, um, which is, again, a testament to just how anticipated this movie was. Now, I mean, the knives are out for Star Wars movies. If a movie isn't good, the critics will be honest. I'm not sure that they could even see through all that anticipation to really give an honest critical review of the movie. Maybe I'm wrong. Some people No, were. I think it worked for it in yes. the beginning yes. for the first few weeks, months, even yeah. years, and worked very much Absolutely. against it going forward yeah. that it was the first but one I'll, in so long. But yeah. I'll say, <clears throat> talking about this rewatch, yeah. what kind of struck me on this rewatch was I remembered everything that I didn't like about it. I didn't like Jake Lloyd. Uh, I thought trade, the Trade Federation was kind of a shitty way to get into this movie. Yeah. Um, I remember not liking Jar Jar, obviously. I remember not liking all the obvious casual racism. That's That that I want to talk about in and of itself, because yeah. it's another thing. Sure. Um, the, the, the movie is dinged with. Well, I'll talk about it right now. It bothers me that it bothers me that there's casual racism in the movie for obvious reasons, yeah. but it also is like, it's 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 unimpeachable that like yeah. like any like you you can't argue against that so you can't even look at this movie you, there are a lot of people who can't even look at this movie 
uh, with clear eyes because, you know, a detractor would just be like, yeah, but there's racist elements. So do you see what I'm saying? A, a little bit, yeah. Right. So, and to some extent, I'm here to defend this movie and also that it's indefensible in hindsight is it's indefensible yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it i know that uh george lucas in the past has said yeah it's it's actually that's in your eye of the he said it's incidental and yeah. it's incidental and i know that like particularly in the case of Watto, which has sort of gotten pulled into a, an anti-semitic thing yeah. Yeah, i can like, say that as a so, myself you know it, it, there's some like weird like the way the character was designed physically came together in sort of a strange way and so like even if you could chalk that up to coincidence there's uh, there's other things going on in this movie like there's just i think there's some some unfortunate jewish stereotypes that could also be oh, folded yeah. into the Watto character right yeah. so, and all of that together with with, uh, with the viceroys physical. and with i mean with with yes. a lot of these characters yeah there were and three jar 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 jar, jar the viceroys and Watto. Yeah, the, the nemoidians are a, a thai accent that Who, silas carson that's the developed. viceroys oh. so the, the, yeah. yeah the so you so you take all those elements that haven't changed. I didn't find new things I didn't like about this movie. That's what that's I'm, true. I no, but I mean that. So I, I I went into all these. I went into this movie expecting those things mm-hmm. and actually thinking that those things plus a bunch of other shitty things yeah. would sink this movie for me. Mm-hmm. But I can kind of compartmentalize those things I'm talking about, and I actually really think I liked this movie on this watch. I might have even liked it more than Solo. I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I ranked my movies, and we're going to do our, our Star Wars rankings later, but yeah. I'm not sure. Like, there is something... This is such a vague thing to say, but there's something so Star Wars about The Phantom Menace that is just not true with I've- these... With some of these new ones. With all of the new ones. Mm. All of the new ones are, are a different breed of movie. I would not go that far. But I do think that there and, – and there are a lot of people who can write off the entire Disney era of Star Wars in mm-hmm. their heads and say, like, it's I'm not all fan fiction and anything that's not yeah. George Lucas is not Star By Wars. By the way, I'm not, doing, is, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I like those – I like some of those movies a lot. Like, a right. lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. But – I, but I, they do feel like they are from a different galaxy. I think the the thing that I like best Literally. about these prequels, and we can get into it more with like specifics yeah. or talking about yeah, yeah. The, the episode two and episode three as a whole. The prequels mm-hmm. do some things that I think you know. The Last Jedi gets a lot of credit for being a very bold Star Wars movie. I think the prequels take some very unexpected turns, and and that my your mileage may vary on whether you like those turns, mm-hmm. but. I know personally that when my friends and I used to talk about the Clone Wars, which Alec Guinness just mentions in passing, mm-hmm. which Ben just mentions in passing, I would never in a million years have predicted that the Jedi would be fighting alongside the clones, that they would inadvertently become bad guys, engineer their own downfall, that it would become – like the way these things were done in this movie where essentially the Jedi become the villains of the piece – Mm-hmm. and are manipulated uh, and short-sighted, that kind of stuff is is very interesting to me. They're they are very, very interesting movies that I think only George Lucas could have made. I mean, I... I <clears throat> it is interesting to sort of... To, to think about the prequels now through the lens of what we have had for the past however many years, I guess it's... Four years. Four years now. Um, because it 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 is... I, I respect the prequels, despite the fact that I know on many occasions we have had discussions where I deride them. I, I don't love them, but I respect the swings and the scope of what he was doing. There's no question that there is a sweeping epic quality yeah. to these prequels that is 
missing from what we have had over the past couple of years. I agree with that. I don't disagree. I, I think that, that I think that's absolutely valid. I think there is a beauty and a and a vis the, the vistas of what he's just Naboo alone in mm-hmm. Phantom Menace is a breathtaking, breathtaking stuff. Um, I can't take it. What hurts the movies to me is the lack of emotion. They are, they feel very hollow to me. They feel like dioramas. A they feel like. The reason for that is the lack of point of view. And, sure. And they. Sure. And. What, Our heroes in these movies. It's a little muddled because to your point, right? Yes. In the in the original trilogy, you've got Luke, you've way, got Han, you've got Leia. I think Leia. that's true for the current trilogy, also. It's not as it's not as it's, be- as it's bad, better, as, but it's significantly better. It's it's it. Ray is a is know, a hero's I journey. I get extremely emotional every time Ray force yeah. pulls that lightsaber to her in the Force yeah. Awakens. Like I definitely have a very emotional. It's definitely, it's definitely Ray's least. trilogy. Well, and it's also the hero's but, journey that is unquestionably part of the current trilogy that we're in the midst of and the original trilogy is missing from the prequels because there is no hero's journey. Obi-Wan is kind of flat through the entire, not flat in terms of performance, but flat in terms He's of keeping there, there's no in, arc. In Phantom Menace. Right. Yeah. And the person we're following is not a hero. It's Anakin. And it's actually someone's fall from grace. What's so interesting about this is that there was like a big announcement that I vaguely remember. And this is a, you know, I'm thinking back to when I was 10. So sure, I don't sure, sure. know that I'm actually remembering any of this. Eric, I believe that you're remembering this. <laughs> I feel pretty, pretty confident. I, I trust you. <laughs> but there was a point where it was announced. I bet you thought that, that, that he was doing the prequels, like in yeah. 1994 or something, like, like a very long time before these movies came out. Hmm. And it was announced he's doing the prequels, which he always said he would do, but now he's actually doing them. And then it After was like, the re-releases and yeah. the special editions. And, and then it was yeah. like, I bet it's going to be about Obi-Wan Kenobi because that makes sense. And mm-hmm. then he said, no, no, this is about Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. But in the commentary for episode one, there's some archival interview with George Lucas where he says this movie is about Padme. Yeah. That the that the character that we're following no, it's is not. Padme. <laughs> and that is has never come through to me. <laughs> On any watch of this movie, and it, it really surprised me. And, like, I get you can map, like, there's a point where she refuses the call. She doesn't want to go to Coruscant. And there's a point, like, you can sort of intellectually map these things onto her, but you don't really start with her. It doesn't feel, like, it, it doesn't never feels like her movie, really. It's not her trilogy, even. Yes. Like, I, I can't, I, I mean, her character, if anything, somehow becomes less interesting as we get deeper into this, especially in Sith, where she's just pregnant yeah. and just, like kind of crying and sad about the fact that Anakin has fallen. I mean, I, just to be clear, like I, to come back to your original point that you made a couple minutes ago about the boldness of this trilogy of the prequels, it is bold to, to do the opposite of what you had done in your previous trilogy, right? Which is the hero's journey. You're doing the inverse of that. You're seeing someone fall from grace. You're seeing someone fall apart. That's interesting. And had that been imbued in a character that, or a performance that you know, really sings, I think it all would have worked. But unfortunately, he's cast people that maybe don't have Big that problem. prowess. Totally agree. And then on top of that, he's not directing them, really. I mean, this is there. This is some stilted, wooden performances and delivery that you just can't help but wonder, is this what he wanted from them? Is this what they were? I just, I don't know. Well, a lot of it is, I think we go back now for whatever reason, and we do not assume intent on George Lucas's part for whatever reason. Sure. 
Maybe yeah. because we, he hadn't directed totally a movie right. in 20 years. You're totally right, and that's years. a very fucking weird thing we do. <laughs> yeah. we, we never... I totally agree yeah. with I, And I think, you know, film criticism, it, it, you try your yeah. best to assume competence and to assume intent and then evaluate especially the movie based a, on that. Especially with a legitimate master of the yeah. craft. Yeah. He is... He is oh, in his own universe, like Terrence, of his own creation. Terrence Malick disappears for 20 years and no one says this guy forgot how to make a movie. Yes. You know, I just, it, it, it is this really weird thing where people have decided, or yeah. people decide decided that George Lucas forgot what he that's one thing I noticed watching this movie that this guy is still a master this guy can shoot a movie yes. when he uses a close up that you feel something right like it, it's yeah. not it maybe is not giving you the emotional response that that you want but I do think that a lot of the stuff we attribute to George Lucas like yeah. fucking around on set or something is by design and whether or not you agree with it is a different story but I do think there's a conscious effort to do the opposite of the trilogy just like you were saying Phil, yeah. which is if that was the used universe of you know busted land speeders and the the that mm-hmm. what a piece of junk Millennium Falcon yeah. this is pristine shiny spaceships this is sort of like a yeah. court you know like palace court yeah. romantic gothic sort of story and I think the stilted dialogue comes from an attempt at least to do sort of a more Shakespearean thing with the uh, that. I agree with and I, w- I would say that that, that speaks to sort of one of the things that he fell into with the original trilogy, which was great casting and, and a swagger of a Harrison Ford or a Carrie Fisher, these performances mm-hmm. that felt very lived in because they were so charismatic to watch. I, I and, and, and you can see Ewan trying. Yeah. He he wasn't given anything. But he's not given much. Right, to I do. want to make two points. First one is about the used universe thing. The most brilliant thing he did was exactly what you said. The the fundamental problem of setting of making a prequel twenty years after you make the original movie, twenty two years after you make the original movie, with updated technologies, how you sell that mm-hmm. in the in the reality of this world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, immediately you see the drone fighters. To me, when I, I remember watching that movie, seeing the drone fighters or the droid fighters excuse me and thinking why the hell did they get rid of these guys they can't you keep me and it makes perfect sense at the end of the movie answers that question but you get to have your cake and eat it too you get to use your technology Mm -hmm. you get to make something look really cool you get to have that incredible battle scene with seemingly thousands of them so that's one point that i I, I always respected that he found a way to have his cake and eat it too Mm -hmm. the other point i want to make is it so clearly should have been Obi-Wan's trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> it so clearly should have been Obi-Wan against Anakin. Yep. Um, and built up to it to not just one battle at the end mm-hmm. of Sith, but an entire movie where Anakin had already gone dark. Yep. Um, and he should have won. I mean, which he kind of did, but it didn't feel like that. You know, I would have even considered look, this is now me now me criticizing the master, but I would have even considered having the twins twins be born after at the end of two. Um, so you well, can, yeah, yeah, this is I, a thing I've talked about with people a lot, which is, you know, they spend so long, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin at each other's throats through Attack of the Clones that by the time you get to Revenge of the Sith, I think Lucas realizes, oh shit, I got to make these guys like each other so that you're sad yes. that they're getting ripped apart. Yeah. And so in 15, 20 minutes at the top of the movie, suddenly they banter. Suddenly they've had three years of being at war together in the trenches and their relationship is fundamentally different. And I wish, I do wish we'd seen yeah, that two in the movie. I do think two that he's one of the great jerk offs of all time. I mean, just well, I yeah, remember watching that yeah. movie. I remember seeing that movie and thinking the whole time, I'm just sitting here waiting for Anakin to turn and I know it's not going to happen in the next two hours and 20 minutes. What a 
What a waste of our time. Well, it, you wouldn't have felt that if the love story worked. It just didn't work. But I will. If I, it really, it, I mean, you it, still know she's falling in love with Darth Vader. Yes, but you, it's still. If you yeah. were invested in that love story, it would have worked. But this this comes to sort of my. I think one of the reasons why this film is fundamentally flawed. I, I just think that he. This didn't need to be its own movie. I think that a lot of the information that we have here, there's just not that much story here. So to me, I don't need to see Jake Lloyd. I could see some flashbacks. It's fundamentally I think unnecessary. You, I, I think you could true. jump into Attack of the Clones. You can backfill some of this information. I think the mom is actually hurts you more than helps you. I understand. I do that love you, that. That's one of the performances that I really. I like. think she's very, movie. she's yeah. very good in I it. Like but, Pernod, and I understand why her death is important, and I understand why mm-hmm. all of. I get that, and you could have got that. There's just a part of me that's like I don't need to see. I, Anakin could have been a street urchin and been pulled off the streets, and we and doesn't know where You're his mom solo is right now. But you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, and, and you get the mom in the second movie, whatever the case might be, you can get there. It's, it's not necessarily that I think he, that, that I have a problem with the story he wanted to tell. It's where he jumped in and how it's, it's parceled out is just not effective in my opinion. And where things are given weight. Exactly. But I think it's, it's in an attempt to surprise you. If Luke Skywalker is your classic hero age of 20, then he's going to give you a nine-year-old. Like, I think if he's supposed to be 12 at some point, yes. he's like, I want him to miss his mommy more, and that means making him younger. So, like, Ugh. these decisions are coming from... Yeah. He has a thing, this thing that George Lucas is obsessed with uh, from Kurosawa that's, like, immaculate realism or immaculate reality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one or the other. And there is... That there is some attempt to create the story that sort of works well on paper, the traditionally structured story that you're expecting... And then rough an edge up or add an unexpected surprise or do something that's just a little out of left field. Mm-hmm. And he does that constantly throughout these prequels. And, and some of it I like and some of it I don't like. But that's yeah. where things like that, I think, happen. There's a, there, there, listen, this movie is – this series is, is made – it's a series of choices that he made. And some of them work. Some of them don't. Some of them are head scratchers. I don't know why Anakin needed to be younger than Padme. I, it just makes those scenes – fucking weird uh are you an angel are you are you an angel the way she looks at him at the end of the movie i'm like don't look the, at a fucking child that was the audition that, scene for the anakins well i mean the, you came in for i'm Anakin talking about the very end the, oh yeah that is the the, the yeah it There's, is it's especially because you know what's gonna happen yeah it, it's it's I, just I, like I, look i i really really strongly agree with you <laughs> And, and no, I do. And like, I, I, I in general, I, I want to, you know, I, I want to buy into what the, the guy, the director's selling us. But I really strongly agree that the 12 year old or nine year old Anakin was a misstep. The casting of Jake Lloyd was an obvious misstep. Um, Can but, we talk about that for a really quick second? Well, I just you, want to talk about yeah. my kids. Uh, oh, yes. Please. I want to talk about my kids. Just reaction. want to talk about your kids. Just want to talk about my kids. So I have two kids. I have three kids. Jesus. Um, I just have two six. I, okay. I have two six year olds, and I want to make this point too because I don't know, Eric, Eric, how you feel about this because um, you seem to be going in a different direction. But it's always been. I'm lost. It's always been. You know, this is the way I always pitch too. I'm just so. Let me tell, you, tell me what you think about this. It might be weird. I did my. I've always heard that there was a real cynical reading of why he went with a young Anakin, which was to appeal to kids. Um, my six-year-olds, we saw Solo on Saturday. We watched this together on Sunday. And they liked Solo better. And they had n- 
they they did it was weird because you know who they really liked of all people padme they loved padme they like cheer when i said who do you like in this movie and i said i went person by person do you like jar jar they fucking hated jar jar they called him a clumsy idiot it was amazing <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they're like she's a cl- my, my daughter he crashed Grace. into the boss's hay blimp. He's a he's clumsy, so clumsy idiot. Um, also, his catchphrase is Stephanie's from Full House. Which how is, rude! Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> and I said, "What do you think of Padme?" They both loved her. What do you think of Anakin? Uh, Rollins, my son, goes. I like him, but I know he's going to be bad. Now he knows what's going to yeah, happen, yeah, obviously. But yeah. with, even a, even a six year old had that kind of like misgiving about going on the journey with this character. I don't know. I don't know that it was that cynical decision. And I, I mean, maybe it was, maybe it was a conscious, I want a POV character for kids. But definitely. Like, did you that. ever want to be Robin when you were a kid? You wanted to be Batman. Like, I, I think George oh, Lucas I, knows that. I think, Unless you wanted right, to be Robin. No, I no, I don't want to be Robin. I'm with you. That's my point. I think that's a, that's a cynical decision grownups make. And I don't think grownups understand the mentality of kids. I don't think they actually talk to kids. Yeah. Robin was literally introduced as a way in for kids. You will be with Batman. Uh-huh. You will be yeah. Batman's sidekick. But no one ever wanted to be Robin. I don't want to be with Batman. You want to be the you big guy. Be Batman. So I mean, you want to be Luke. You want to be. I don't necessarily. I mean, listen. I, I'm I'm going to eat my words a little bit right now. But I I think that had the performance of Anakin at that age had it been a little bit more magnetic or a little bit more interesting. I might not have had the same issues. That's true. Um, there's an amazing article that I found. Um, so back in 99, there's a reporter for, I believe it was oh, Newsweek, who before, so during the shooting of episode one, there was like buzz coming out as to like what was happening. I mean, who the fuck knows? I, they were all talking out of their ass. But at one point they said, the kid can't act. Insiders call nine-year-old Jake Lloyd, who plays Anakin Skywalker, Mannequin Skywalker. <laughs> Word is, he stinks. So that's just a little blurb, right? Ron Howard gets wind of this, reads this article, and sends a letter, which is scanned from Imagine Entertainment. Oh my god, I don't know about this. This is amazing. This is amazing. Sends a letter to the to the Newsweek reporter, to the publication, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the letter right now. This was a public letter, or something I, printed, no, 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 or no, no, is this no, no, a thing no, no, that's come to light? This is like, something that's come to light relatively recently. I okay. believe this, it, this is... Uh, Ron the pers- Howard is the official director of the podcast. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> okay. I will be this, careful yeah. not to say it. Uh, but he was, he was offered the director's he chair was, for this. He was. Like, he was. Oh, he was? George he was like, please, Ron, direct yeah. us. So I guess Ron he, Howard he finally got to Spielberg. do a Star Wars movie. It's Ron Howard Spielberg, and then there was the third one who was I can't the remember. Somebody else, yeah. I don't think so. David Lynch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this this was on Slate, uh, November 2015. So relatively recently. But this art, I'm going to read this letter because it's just amazing. Um, <laughs> While your Buzz Wars episode one piece was generally snide and insipid, the pot shot at nine-year-old Jake Lloyd was downright irresponsible. The piece cites unnamed insiders who are critical of this nine-year-old's performance. I have I have no way of knowing how accomplished or professional he may have appeared during the principal filming, but I seriously doubt these insiders are inside enough to have seen an edited version of the new Star Wars because I have, and in my opinion, Jake Lloyd is terrific in the film, which, by the way, is truly amazing. Movies are subject to public scrutiny, yes, but for Newsweek to attack a child's performance based on rumor and without even having seen the film is shameful. As someone who as someone who was acting professionally at an early age, I can assure you that nine-year-old Jake is quite capable of reading, understanding, and feeling the, fil- the full humiliation of a piece like that. He may not be able to comprehend the reason that it was printed, however, but then obviously neither can I. <laughs> Maybe someone from your editorial staff should try and explain it to him. Sincerely, Ron Howard. He says that in the letter, but I mean, like... 
Yeah. That is sort of sweet. Like he mentions it in a letter that he was a child actor too. Totally. And like it is I'm not sweet saying for Ron's to jump, unjustified. Opie to jump in and like yeah. defend a kid. I'm not but, saying he's oh, unjustified, yeah. but I think believe. it's amazing that Ron Howard just like fucking went to task on this person. Also, like, man, I feel bad about all the things I just said about Jake Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Jake Lloyd, Lloyd is, the director of this podcast, has a. He's gonna, yeah, Jake Ron, Lloyd, who Ron is not going to be happy with me. Jake Lloyd, who was last seen this summer being arrested after leading police in a 170 mile per hour car chase. Oh, Jake Lloyd's not as ugly. It breaks my heart. It's it's been it's been tough for Jake. Well, it's on the commentary too, and it's two two mm-hmm. actors that I feel so bad for in the wake of this movie. Jake Lloyd, I'm at best, and there is I oh mean, my God. Is a, I feel I'm bad for best. best too. There is Oof. a Jake Lloyd on this commentary is nothing but like people asking him like, "How was it?" And he's like, "I there was a Starcraft cockpit, and I got to go in it. Mm-hmm. It moves a little, not super fast, but it's fun." And you just like feel, and now he's like arrested. You just feel so bad for him. And I remember there was, I think, a Rolling Stone article about Ahmed Best that people were yes. circulating like a year ago or something. Do you something. remember the, the cover, A Star is Born? A like Star it was like born. the E.T. And thing? Like yes. he's the next Eddie Murphy. He's the next yeah. all of these things. And it, it's so, because he was discovered, was he yeah. Blue Man Group or Cirque du Soleil? I believe something about something it. Like yeah. that. And his yeah. movement he was, appealed he to. He was front and center. I remember, I remember the watching, launch of this movie. Yes, I remember yeah. watching either an Access Hollywood or Entertainment Tonight piece on him, and he's really charming. He's and so he's funny, really so funny, talented. and he's re- he is he he was so warm and and I I remember defending Jar Jar after the movie, and I think part of it was residual from having seen whatever piece that was and wanting this guy Ahmed Best to have a career after this because he did put so much of himself into this awful. Awful. I mean, there it is. Yeah, there. That's it. That's the cover. It's such. I mean, it was. Everyone was convinced that it was that this was not just a a career making performance from him, but that this was this was the new C three PO. This was the new R two D two. Like weirdly, like it within the movies. Not at all. Although he's still kind of around in you know the Clone Wars cartoon and stuff like yeah. that. It, within the movies and within the Star Wars universe, not even a little bit. Yeah. Within the world of cinema and cinema history, like I know Andy Serkis is always talking about like the history of mocap and and things like that, and sort of omits the yeah. Ahmed Best Jar Jar. But he's not even part of the conversation. The first digital character of this type. It, it's important to so much of what we it's, do in movies now. I and will say he's a though, huge part of developing that technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, but I will say, rewatching the film, it's a pretty janky looking thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just the way it mo- it it's moves not very that bad. it's really bad in the beginning in the in the forest. it's not bad yeah. in the tights on the close ups. Yes. The attention to detail is very impressive. The wides, he just looks like a ball of like goo that's just kind of like and like it's not their fault. But Liam Neeson and and Ethan Hawke do a very bad job. You mean you and McGregor? You said Ethan Hawke. Sorry, that's a very different movie. That would be an interesting movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you so. McGregor and Liam Neeson do a very bad job of matching eyeline. Yeah, with it's him. not great. So it it really they, I mean calls in constantly what, what a CGI and it is the two yeah. of them talk about their struggles with green screen acting or yeah. the, the yeah. tennis ball on the stick or yeah. I guess Ahmed actually wore like a Jar Jar suit. Yeah. that had Jar Jar's head like as a hat that yeah. he wore, and there's like like a few shots in the movie that are left over where he just mm-hmm. like, if he's juggling through frame or something where you don't see his face, it's actually Ahmed in this physical suit. I, I have like, to say mostly that didn't end up working. And so they had trouble matching eyelines and stuff. I had a weird, I don't know how I feel about Jar Jar having watched this again, because yes, he's deeply annoying um, and, and culturally potentially offensive. Um, but 
he's he is kind of sweet and there are some some genuinely cute moments and i will say that at the end the the physical marx brothers routine that is jar jar that turns into a, a successful sort of battle sequence for him just by his, his series of fuck ups is kind of endearing like i i, I didn't hate that part of it as when much he's a bomb bad general well, okay. See, but then you fucking ruined it, Eric. Listen, I know, I, and I'm really, I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of you, Phil, for admitting that you like. There I are just some like, good pieces. The part where they're at, which I think is maybe like one of the better scenes, one of the best scenes in the movie, uh-huh. is like the, the scene where they're all seated around the, the lunch or dinner table at the Ooh, kind of Skywalker yeah, house. And yeah. I like the scene when he's like slurping the fruit out of the bowl and Qui Gon catches it's his cute. tongue. Yeah. There's like some cute moments like that. You know, even in that first forest scene which does not hold up visually as well as some of the other ones. Whoa. There's kind of, you know, he turns very quickly and Obi-Wan sort of ducks his flapping ear. And I think it's like, a, yeah, I, I actually didn't I really mind him love. in the market either. Um, it's, I just ultimately think so much of what's wrong with his performance is just his dialogue. I mean, it his physical appearance and this kind I, of I like, I really bumbling, don't like his physical appearance, but that's just, that's kind of that's kind of dealer's I, choice. I that. have a soft spot for. Well, Phil, you know about this because you've seen the photograph that I. Sent oh yes, over. I can show it to you right now. But uh, I. This will be in our, our Twitter as and well, I, guys. And I will never be able to be objective about this because about Jar Jar's physical appearance. This was Eric's bedroom in 1999. So, so Eric, on the left is, there is that a is that a, a in, cardboard cutout or is that a life size? Oh no no, it's not a cardboard cutout. So Albertsons, I don't know if you remember certain grocery stores, maybe other ones too, but at least the Albertsons in my hometown had life-size statues of different Phantom Menace characters. So one was Darth Maul, which would have been a cool one to have. Yeah, but my yeah the Jar Jar one less cool. <laughs> my local Albertsons Much had a, a seven-foot-tall latex and, like, rubber, like, three-dimensional, like, like, a mannequin of Jar Jar Binks. And I was, it was, this was before the movie came out. This was promotional. Oh, and I was man. like, this guy is going to be the huge. best. He's going to be huge. Oh, and everybody's going to love this guy. Man. So I entered a raffle. I also, it should I, be said that he also has a CSI fucking thing on his. I sent it with the caption. Before this is the CSI was on the air. The What's most going on. I man? think this photo was probably taken in. When did that? When did that show come out? Two thousand. Two thousand. So everything. I, oh, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was like a time travel photo. It's a. So I I won this Jar Jar Binks statue. It's in so a weird looking. At an Albertsons, and I took that baby home, and I was like, "This is the greatest." And so then I saw the movie, and you know, even even in the movie, and you burned him. Even in the movie, I remember. Set him ablaze. Yeah. <laughs> People wanted to. I, th- yeah. There was a time when that thing was worth thousands of dollars, I think, because people would probably do horrible things to the statue when they bought it. Eek. With over 60 film and television appearances, Julia Roberts is perhaps the most famous actress of our generation. You know you love her. We love her, too. And during this year's Hollywood Fringe Festival, you can get closer to everyone's favorite pretty woman, and you won't even need something ready to wear. This June, the Asylum Theater Company at the McAdam Place Theater proudly presents The Complete Works of Julia Roberts, a parody musical. The Complete Works of Julia Roberts follows Jessica, a young woman just trying to make it on her own in L.A. when her many life obstacles drop into her lap all at once. Jessica is surprised to find herself accepting guidance when the iconic roles of her favorite actress come to life in her living room. Take a journey with Jessica as all her and your favorite Julia Roberts moments come to life in song in this hilarious ode to America's sweethearts. If you're in the Los Angeles area, head over to HollywoodFringe.org for tickets to see the runaway hit of the summer. And here is the hook. No need to be a money monster to purchase tickets because our listeners can use the exclusive code podcast99 for a special discount. That's 
discount code PODCAST99 when you purchase your tickets through HollywoodFringe.org and click on the show page, The Complete Works of Julia Roberts, A Parody Musical. Tickets are on sale now, so buy your tickets before they sell out, because it's no wonder this world premiere is giving audiences something to talk about. Thank you so much for supporting Sounds this like show. Sounds like a very good idea. It's a fun show. Yeah, you should you- go and see it. You should get tickets. Also, just as a side note, it's a podcast with a capital P. So podcast 99 is the discount code. Podcast 99, capital P. So um, there you go. And it's 99 is in the number 99. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Check it out. It's a great show. So let's just, we're going to do a synopsis. It's 44 minutes. Stuff. Let's do some stuff. Let's do some stuff. Let's do some stuff. Let's do some stuff. So for those who have not seen uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, is a young apprentice Jedi Knight under the tutelage of Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson. Uh, Anakin Skywalker, who will later father Luke Skywalker and become known as Darth Vader, is just a nine-year-old boy. It's not part of the synopsis of this Dude, movie. what do you want from me? When the Trade Federation cuts off all routes <laughs> to the planet Naboo, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are assigned to settle the matter. Uh, it's kind of a synopsis. It's not really. I mean, there's the whole like Padme. So it's it's Padme Amidala, right? Yes, that's her last name. Mm-hmm. Um, that so twi- that twist is lame. You didn't like Keira Knightley's performance in this well, one. I love Keira Knightley. Keira Knightley. So would, yeah, looks identical to Natalie. They Portman. do look. Identical. They look very similar. Years after this movie, yeah. I can't like I couldn't tell what scene was which person. I think I can tell now. Like now, I can jump in and so be like, "Oh, that's Keira was, Knightley." There. Wait, what was Keira Knightley ever? I mean, was Keira Knightley ever Amidala when Natalie Portman? wasn't in the picture. I thought Natalie Portman always played Amidala except for that one scene when she reveals herself to the Gungan King. No. No, there's a couple. There's a bunch. Yeah, there's then, like a couple then pieces Then it's, it's just remarkable. It is really, like, it's really as time impressive. went on, they started to look a little different, but especially in this movie, and especially when you put some white face paint and on also, them, and, and, and you also have Natalie's voice coming out of her mouth as well. Yeah, they cheated. Oh, do, the, yeah. do you? Yeah. They cheated a little. That, it's so weird to give her the British accent. And yeah, it's weird. But whatever. So, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was released on May 19th, 1999, in first place, shockingly, with $64.8 million. The only other movie to open that Which weekend... Which would be like a failure now. Yeah, it would be a joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other movie that opened that weekend, Eric? I would never remember it in a million years. Wait, wait, I, was, I was seeing this over guess, and over You'll never again. guess this. What is what, this? Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Uh, Director, the, actor, anything? What uh, Tom Selleck is in it. <laughs> Tom Selleck is in it. I should know this. I know all the Selleck movies. <laughs> I, the only uh, reason I know this movie existed was because there was a group of very funny fucking assholes that were in a line next to our line at the movie theater saying, we're waiting for tickets to The Love Letter. They thought they were so close. That's what it's called, The Love Letter? Yes. Yeah. Never heard of it. The Love Letter. The Love Letter. Uh, came in, and it opened in fifth place. It did relatively well, considering. Oh, no, so uh, it's a box office draw. Phantom Menace went on to gross over $1 billion worldwide. Uh, it does include that 3D re-release they did where they just wanted yeah, to get over they wanted a billion to get over dollars. dollars. Uh, it has 50, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. That high. Which is, it feels right. feels pretty, it feels right. But, um, so there's a, there's a quote I want to read from, uh, Two quotes from Vanity Fair. Feels low to me, to be honest. I, I, you know, I'm going to disagree with that and think that the I know. Rotten Tomatoes should be high. But. Yeah. So, you guys might remember, I think we talked a little bit about this uh, before we got on mic, but Vanity Fair had a big Star Wars issue that came out. You know, Andy Leibovitz did the whole photo spread that, that she's obviously very famous for. Uh, and it was a big deal. 
These were the first pictures that we were seeing from the set. These were the first sort of, this was the first interview. It was the first, first sort of real, I don't want to say legitimate, but it was a big deal. Oh, and be- before you talk about this, because you're not going to lose that thought, I just want to point out one crazy sure. thing about this year in this podcast that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is obviously about all the movies in 1999. We're crazy about this year. There were 250 movies. They were all notable that so many of them are classics. I'd say about three to five months of this year were consumed with Star Wars. The two or three months before this movie came out and a month or two after this movie, it was a vacuum Mm -hmm. in which- It's a black hole, really. Yeah, Yeah. a black hole in which everything else around it, and not just movies, culture, fell into. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of, to me, that's a very interesting point about this movie with this podcast, that all these movies, I I wonder how well they would have all been remembered had- Star Wars not existed and been such a failure. Maybe that's what's amazing about 99 is that those movies still had like a chance to have their moment. And I mean, not all of them, not office space, but like, you know, there's, yeah, there was time for all those other movies and somehow amazing to me. There's also came out. Some of them came out of this black hole only years later. Right. We've seen so many movies. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. Well, I think there's also, it's also a testament to a movie like the matrix, for instance, which comes out, you know, May, uh, May, March 31st. It comes out a little over a, a little over a month before this film comes out. And really steals its thunder. I mean, in a lot of ways. It was a groundbreaking movie yeah. that I still remember when Phantom Menace came out and people being like, yeah, I mean, it was good, but it was no fucking Matrix. And I was just like, okay. I mean, that that's that's pretty insane. Matrix did come out after. Before. Okay, but before March 31st. Yeah. Okay, so because that was, I because I remember that this movie was very important to me because it was Star Wars. Sure. But I I had the experience with the Matrix that, you know, my mom was describing having in 77. It was that yep. revelatory, sure. you know, there's a, bef- a clear before and after in my life. And that was like the matrix. Interesting. Me, so. Interesting to interestingly to me is when we were talking about the most anticipated movies of all time, matrix reloaded is absolutely mm. on that list. It's number two to me in my head. Of most disappointing No, sequels. most anticipated. <laughs> There's been some reevaluation of that movie that um I mean listen, I, I come thought, back around on reloaded. I think so. I think I, I have to say, personally speaking anyway, that the the blank check episodes on made on specifically Matrix Reloaded, less so on, on Revolutions. Revolutions. But Reloaded, they may, absolutely made me reevaluate that movie. And I went back and watched it and I was like, This movie's not as bad as I as I remember you it. You did rewatch it. Mm-hmm. 
I, I would say this. It. I'd also say the same thing about Speed Racer, which is a movie that I saw in the theater. I was that like, has, I don't know what the fuck this thing that is. Speed Racer appreciation. Club. Now yes. it's really grown yeah. for that. That has film. been going on Fair for yeah. 10 years. So this quote from Vanity Fair, I think, gives an interesting context. Um, so the Phantom Menace will be a massively, a massive film financially. In all likelihood, the eventual champ over Titanic. That in itself is it fucking insane to even say that months before the release of did this film. Did that happen worldwide? It did, right? No. No, it no. didn't. No. Um, but that's not why it's such a big deal. It's important as probably the most craved film ever. When George Lucas shut down the Star Wars movie-making machinery in 1983, the year of Return of the Jedi's release, he walked away from the most popular film series in history. Yet he kept insisting that the finished trilogy was only parts four, five, and six of a longer narrative. He had parts one, two, and three all mapped out. They were prequels detailing the early lives of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, but he wasn't up to making them in the moment. For Star Wars fans, this was torturous, like knowing that the Beatles had written and rehearsed three follow-ups to Abbey Road, but never recorded them. So when... It's, it's nothing it's like nothing that. Like, but I'm, I'm trying to give you... Like, this is 99. Is my favorite fucking album. It is, is nothing like that. This is bananas. But, it, but it's this, bananas, but this like, is 99. This is how yeah. much they're hyping this fucking thing. Yeah. So... So when, in 1993, Lucas, 1993 is when he announced uh, that he was back in the saddle. Episodes 2 and 3 are promised for the years 2002 and 2005. It was hallelujah time. He had returned. It's really happening. This is the first paragraph of arguably the first real article about this movie. And they are hyping it to such a fucking crazy place that you're like, how can you possibly meet these expectations i remember remember this mag i think that this was the one that had like pick photos of the desert fight that became the qui-gon but one of them is ewan mcgregor leaping through the air with his robes around him with a lightsaber which never never happens but like i was like you you were pouring over every Every single image and you know we i I, you probably didn't do this, but they do midnight toy releases at Toys R Us. Yeah, which, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't guess, there for that. that not exist Toys R Us. Yeah, rest in peace. They um, did. They did it for. We backwards. did that for Force Awakens. Um, yeah, and so like you know, now I do those for all the movies. I even buy those Vanity Fair issues yeah. for all the movies. Yeah. Like it's kind of a tradition now. But like I was going to the Midnight Toy Madness, and I bought everything sight unseen. Mm-hmm. One of every single action figure, and then I have a younger brother. So it was like, we're going to buy one that we're going to keep in the package for me. We're going to buy one that we're going to open, and those are yours, Robert. Like, that was... Do you still I have had them? the brother... Yes, yes. Are you kidding? They are not are as you, valuable I as I had hoped ask you, are you, are you, at the time. Do you have any concept of what they're worth? I, no, I do not. Yeah. Um, but it's not... At the time, people were saying, it's a collector's item. Yeah. It'll be an investment. And I was like, I get to play with these and have the collector's item. Amazing. Didn't work out that way. But they had, like... People were listening to the lines of dialogue from the movie because the action figures came with a little com link. Yeah. And you put the action figures on and they would say lines of dialogue from the movie mm-hmm. through this fuzzy speaker. Are you an angel? It, I mean, the first words from this movie I heard was... How rude. And this is thrilling to a child. The first line of dialogue I heard from this movie was, the Senate is not what it once was. <laughs> oh, Jesus the Christ. The action figure said that. That was the first thing the action uh, figure said. And you were like, so, oh my God, the Senate's like, in this. The Senate? The Senate that was disbanded, and I mean, I was like, oh like God. nuts, and it was like all this like political intrigue yeah. that I shouldn't have cared so about. So the last quote I want to read from the from the Vanity Fair article is actually the last line or the last paragraph of the article. The most difficult part of returning to Star Wars, George Lucas says, has neither been the directing, much more fun than it used to be, nor the pressure of following up an assured classic, but the knowledge that his involvement in the prequels makes him a public figure again. If there's any trepidation I have, it's issues with the media, which have gotten much more savage, worse, and gossipy, he says. Nobody wants to be Bill Clinton, but anyone who ends up doing anything worthwhile these days ends up being Bill Clinton. 
that's a whole Boy, other that thing. Kind of prescient. Yeah. Nevertheless, he's glad to have taken on the Star Wars franchise for another go around. Whereas the original film, now known as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, was made in a state of uncertainty. Lucas is already upfront about being pleased with the Phantom Menace. It's a good movie, he says, reminiscent of the old films, but very different. What I think is interesting about this is. I found another article that had a documentary, which I'm sure you've seen, which is on the DVD. And during that documentary, near the tail end of it, they watch a rough cut of the movie, which I'm sure you've seen this footage many Mm -hmm. times over. And I watched just that portion of it. And what's interesting is this is the first, I'm assuming the first assembly of the whole thing that they've, that they've sat through. And the impression that I get from Lucas is this ain't good. Like, and I know that a rough cut is always a rough cut, but there, there was a sense, a palpable sense in this footage, which I'm surprised they even released, of people being like, this movie's hard to follow. I'm not sure that this is going to work. Lucas says on two separate occasions, I might have bit off more than I could chew. I might have gone that. too far. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things that make you go like, wow. Like, this is kind of, kind of crazy. I'll say this is, all right, so again, um, this podcast is also often a, a movie fixing podcast. We fix movies. Um, Feel free to ask aside us from to fix your movie. Slaves, my, got this. We're the, ready. The, the first thing I would do is I would have made it an Obi Wan movie. Absolutely. Second thing I would have done is lose all the Trade Federation shit because all that really matters in this yeah. movie is that someone wants to go Padme. That's what matters, right? <laughs> someone wants to go Padme, so you just have to have yeah. the intrigue of potential intrigue assassination of of someone who's very important yeah. to the Alliance. Yep. And if she falls, the Alliance falls, and it seems very easy. So you send the Jedi's to take care of her, and that's your movie. The 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 opening scroll scroll <laughs> is one of that is the one thing that I don't remember. I didn't remember from the opening movie that that from watching the movie the first time that I couldn't. Believe. believe they started the movie with three paragraphs <laughs> about intergalactic trade 30 Embargos. to 50 years before anything we ever cared about happened that we know did not affect yeah. what we do care about. Yep. So that would <laughs> have been a bold gesture. But I know what we do. I know what audiences do care about. We do care about pretty young starlets. Yeah. And we did care about Natalie Portman. So we would have been bought in there. Mm-hmm. And we did care about Obi Wan, and that's the end of my rant. I think I, I, I want to say two other. Th- I, I, I want to just read two other very brief quotes, which speak to the critical way that the film was released and reviewed. Roger Ebert has a great line where he says, "What uh, what he does have in abundance is exhilaration. There's a sense of discovery in scene after scene in The Phantom Menace as he tries out new effects and ideas and seamlessly integrates real characters and digital ones, real landscapes and imaginary places. We are standing at the threshold of a new age of epic cinema, I think, in which digital techniques mean that budgets will no longer limit the scopes of scenes. Filmmakers will be able to show us just about anything they can imagine. hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Like that is that is Ebert seeing the horizon and being like, Listen, this movie's fine. He gives it a, a good review, but what the doors that this thing is opening is truly impressive. And I will say, like, this is feel free to disagree, but I think that like two movies this year, Matrix and this one, sort of predict they sort yeah. of become the template for the Act Three of the blockbuster. And and yes, 
the cross-cutting finale where we're doing something in space and something on land and something somewhere else. We've seen a million times since, they, but yeah. Star Wars kind of invented because yeah. you have Return of the Jedi. They invented so, yeah. in Jedi, exactly. So, so Jedi story. sort of does that, and this yes. is sort of that feeling again, and we've the not done this bigger, in The Last Jedi. Which is yeah, yeah. nice. But yeah. there's something yeah. about this more than Jedi. There's something about this one, maybe it's because of all the digital effects, mm-hmm. that seems to anticipate what we do now. To the extent that I'm watching Avengers Infinity totally. War, and they have a dome that yeah. comes, and they yes. have an arm that's trying to come through the dome and they cannot unless they physically walk through it and they bottleneck and it is it is the droid Gungan fight. Absolutely. It happens in Infinity War and it is so satisfying in Infinity War and it's all in this movie. Yeah, I I I, I there's no question in my mind that watching it this time I found myself just plain impressed with the technical mm-hmm. abilities of this movie. Even when some of the effects don't look so hot like you mentioned when we first meet Jar Jar. Some of that stuff is not doesn't look great. But the third act of this movie is pretty unparalleled and holds up pretty well today. What's the um, planet that's all city called? Coruscant. Uh, Coruscant. That looks amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It, it holds up so well. A it lot does. of it's actual matte paintings. Like some of them are some, digital mats, yeah. some of them are real mats. They're like there's some some really high angled shots on the city itself that are just magnificent it's and that so that was a planet that came from a star wars novel it's one of the only times in Mm -hmm. the george lucas movies that anything from the expanded universe anything that had come out of a different medium in the star wars world made its way into the movies now you see a bunch of it like in solo there's tons of easter eggs to the books and to video games and things like that but at the time like coruscant was the only thing that wandered in coruscant is also forgive me if i'm wrong but clones opens in coruscant as well right coruscant at night and it looks on right and it and it just gets better. Like there's no question that they that that the technology that you know that happens over the four years or so between those movies. I mean, Coruscant at night looks truly magnificent. And, and I appreciated that versus the world that we get specifically in Solo. Yeah. I think Solo is such a visually unappealing movie. It's very monochromatic. It's very muddy. Yes. It's very gray. And I, and I think the settings are very boring, uninspired. I think it's my the Star Wars I love is always going to be Empire ships. It's going to be cities like Coruscant. It's going to be the Cloud yeah. City. It's going to be these things that Naboo. I've never ne- Naboo, but I've never been down with Tatooine. I understand that it's necessary. <laughs> I understand it's like necessary. Yeah. To kind of draw contrast. But that stuff kind of bores me. I was super into the Gungan city in this. It's beautiful. Yeah. I was, it's absolutely um, yeah. beautiful. When they are swimming towards Oto Gunga is the name of the city. Uh, oh. But when they are swimming towards that underwater city and they're like <laughs> glowing, it's like this art nouveau. Gorgeous. Like it's, it's so Well, good. like Mel, my roommate, loves, what's the stupid rain planet in Clones? What's that? Camino. Yeah, she's all about Camino. I, I actually think that that the biome cl- is it's railing. <laughs> I, I don't think that clones. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff in clones, but I actually think that Phantom Menace is from a from a, a look perspective is a much more arresting movie. But than they're clones all more. Is. They're all more arresting well, than, than Solo. Solo. Yes, sure. <laughs> and they're all more. I would say they're all more interesting looking than Force Awakens and Last Jedi has its own thing that. I think Jedi looks. I think Last Jedi looks better than it has. A, it has its own thing. That, the prequels. That, in I would say interiors, it has that its red own throne thing. room. And, yeah. yeah, that doesn't and that feel salt, like the, the salt desert the, the, with the red. The, the red salt. Yeah, score. Awesome. No, it's, it's that's so what I'm saying. Yeah. And where Hamill is, like, it's so cool yeah, looking. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's just it's different. I mean, the Last Jedi. 
is a different kind of movie. I, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. It's It really is an attempt to bring the franchise into this century and beyond yep. in a and, and and it works. It's just it's a different kind of movie. Um, I am. Um, I, I want to read just this one last quote from Vice, and this is a this is a recent quote. It was reevaluated by them. Uh, Phantom Menace is beautiful, but so often hollow. Its characters bored tourists on a journey through an overactive imagination. But then one could just as easily say the same thing about this year's Valerian, Luc Besson's magnificent flop, another big opulent mess so of sci-fi. I have not seen this. Valerian. But was it neither the Phantom Menace nor Valerian are so to. lacking in inspiration and intermittent thrills that they could really be called all-time bad. Ultimately, they are just unremarkable failures. The only difference between them is one came with astronomical, perhaps insurmountable expectations. And I, I really feel like that's the most damning thing that happened to the Phantom Menace. I, and, and I would also say, and, and uh, Griffin and David brought this up on Blank Check with the Solo episode, and I think it, it hurts Solo too, which is, had Solo not been about Han Solo, if it had just been generic Star Wars character, insert generic Star Wars character, and it's just happened. If it was Rogue One. If it was Rogue One. I don't think this movie comes with the same expectations because Han Solo is such a, an adored character that that there's just and we talked about this a little bit last weekend, but you know there's no way for Alden's performance to meet the expectations that we have of yes, it. Yes, there is. Okay, and there, there is. I mean, maybe I, not Alden. I thought is. Alden. Was I thought he was fine. Good. Yeah, I, I thought that, he was like, pretty good. He got a similar thing that Jake Lloyd did, which is reports from set. Yeah, right, right, right. He, he's got a, a, a mannequin Skywalker. Coach. He's got like he's so wooden, and like that was not my experience with the movie. I thought he was pretty charming and cool, and he sort of felt like on to me in like a lot of places. Yeah. He's not Harrison Ford. He's yeah. never gonna because who could possibly have the screen presence that Harrison Ford does? Right. So you know. But, like, I think we were, like, a little yeah. unfair to him in the beginning. And so, but we do have the comparison of Ewan McGregor in this movie yes. doing his Alec Guinness that, like... I liked Ewan in this who, movie. Who fares it's better? Fun. Who fares better? Alden as Han or yeah, Ewan as Obi-Wan? It's, it's not the same expectation. It, yeah, like, it's a different but, thing. I mean, like, Obi-Wan, you know, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan obviously is iconic and obviously is essentially flawless. But you're expecting something so different. You're expecting a young man. Whereas Han, even... Even in Force Awakens, still feels like our Han, still feels like the young Han. And I don't, we're only talking probably about five to 10 years difference in age between yeah. New Hope Han and Solo Han. Yeah. It's, yeah. Is so it supposed to be 10 years? Or something around. I, I mean, obviously, it's, this, between, yeah. it's between three and four, yeah. right? Where all these movies are taking place, I guess. Um, and that's, yeah. oh, that's about 20 years, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's Luke being born to mm-hmm. Luke being. Mm-hmm. You know, in Star Wars. Years, yeah. So <clears throat> give or take. Um, I think that's part of it. I, w- I mean, the reason I said he-, he could have pulled it off is because Heath Ledger pulled off the Joker. There's always a way to do it. You know? Well, I don't I, know I what it say, is. I'm I will say actor, this, though. But... I'm, I'm, I'm going to – I think Alden was better than Ewan. And I, I think that Alden – I don't know what my answer is. I think that Alden was so. given more to, to given more to work with just purely in terms of, of script. I, I You know – if 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 you're going to ask me if I had to put Phantom Menace next to Solo, I'm going to give Solo the edge, if only because, and I'm not saying it was successful in doing so, but it's aiming for emotion, like it's trying to elicit an emotion from you. I'm not convinced, and I'm not saying that Lucas didn't intentionally direct Phantom Menace and the and the other prequels with intent, but the intent created an enormous distance emotionally for me and the characters on that screen. Whereas 
say what you will about Solo. I'm not saying it's not a flawed movie and it has its problems. But when you've got Chewie and Han in a scene together and it's written relatively well by the Kasdans. No, it's a great scene. You just, you, the you're like, great. right. I, I, I you're think just, Solo's a better movie too. I, I, I just, it, I do, it is, it, it is working. Donald Glover is working. Like, you know, L3 is working to varying degrees of success. Whereas. What a f- crazy, talk about a choice. <laughs> what a crazy fucking decision. Which one? Lando Calrissian is in love with a robot. Well, yes, yeah, that's a swing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but and then she's trapped forever and in, then, a, in a starship. She, she, she lives she her own ship. personal black mirror hell when yeah, her brain well, is put into the fallout. <laughs> she's subservient forever, but cannot speak for well, herself. I, I don't think this movie uh, intended to go there, but no. they, well, they did. Well, what's interesting is I, I, you know, maybe they're so maybe they did such a good job that they actually accepted me. But early on in the movie, I started thinking about. Why couldn't a person fall in love with a droid, right? It's yeah. her. It's obvious. It's her. It's yeah. the same movie. Yeah. And then they do it. Um, I thought it was a really bold decision. I would also say I thought it was a little, honestly, a little disrespectful to the character of Lando. Kind of made him a weird robot fucker. But um, it was really bold, but also like kind of just it was a little disrespectful to possibly this not for one of the few people of color in these movies. And also to like then be like, here's this kind of yeah comedy, right? But like he's I, also again, like, like the fourth guy. He's the fourth human in this movie. You know, like he's yeah. in this franchise. He's a he's yeah. a fourth. Mo- to me, he, he to me the 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 main three are always going to be the three most important. I really think Lando's an incredibly important character to this this franchise. He's and awesome. I don't Billy think I don't awesome. think it's I I don't I mean listen, we can talk uh, a lot about man and and droid relations if we want, but I I I don't think it was seen as disrespectful. I think it was to your point, it was a swing that I felt that they felt that they could do with this character and really couldn't do it with anybody else. With this actor it, no, if any, no, so I mean, much of it was that was you can pull off anything with Donald Glover. Yeah, maybe he's, he's yeah. that he is that cool. He's that charming. But and I, it's it's a part of what he's now good. been saying in interviews, so good. which is Lando's pansexual. Why yeah. would you limit yourself? Yeah. A galaxy full of possibilities. I think that's a super fun thing for this character. I wish they had sort of exercised it with Lando I, I, and a yeah. man, or La- like or, some- or Lando and you see, there's the other thing because they they kind of jumped over the other obvious move here. There are other sentient, there are other sentient, um, free-thinking beings in this universe. We've mm-hmm. never seen a cross-species romance. There's no reason why a cross-species romance couldn't happen. Yeah, with you know, you don't have to go directly to droid. So, uh, and just, it calls attention to something that Star Wars has long tried to run past, which is AI. Our, our droid sentient yeah. is AI a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get into things when like we treat R2D2 and C3PO completely as characters and yeah. as if they are any other character, but George Lucas feels completely free in episode three to say, Hey, wipe C three PO's mind. Right. And, and, and we're supposed like, and we're not supposed, supposed to feel like yes. And not an you're not supposed to have an ounce of remorse no. about that. So and you don't. When it serves the movie, we, we totally. feel like they're characters. Totally. When it serves the movie, we feel like they're robots. And 
for Solo to call attention to it was interesting to me because I thought that was a wonderful motivation for L3. Yeah. But it invites these conversations that we're having now, which are which like, they do, they clearly don't want to have, or it, at least don't want to have right now. Yeah. I mean, who I knows what have. what's down the road for Lando's character? I I think we all know. I think it's it's a safe assumption that Lando's going to get his own movie. I'm sure they will Maybe explore it after this movie. But I don't who, who I don't knows? agree with that. Donald Glover. We'll is, see Donald Glover. Is, Donald Glover is in the pocket right now. It's, There's no question that I my guess is that after the Obi Wan movie, it's probably a Lando movie. Or tropical maybe. shirt at the end of the movie is the price <laughs> after the, Obi- his after tropical the Boba outfit. Fett movie you mean we'll, we'll see which happens well Obi-Wan has Stephen Daldry attached to direct it yeah doesn't have writers yet um, the Boba Fett movie has what's his face why am I drawing is a blank James on Mangold? yeah it's James Mangold, Mangold yeah. but there's no writer attached to that either um, so they're doing so, kind of like the proper order that you're supposed to make and then I would also say too that rumor has it for whatever that that Steven and Donald would be writing the Lando movie. So if that is true, that makes sense. It makes sense. But then it's also like we could be in another Lloyd, uh, another Miller. So and what's I, it called? I want to go, um, honestly, I want to go to the Benioff galaxy and I want to go to the Ryan Johnson yeah, galaxy. I, I just, I, I think the thing about the solo movie is let these sleeping dogs lie. Just, well, I think that, I mean, I think that it seems anyway, that episode nine is going <clears> to <throat> wrap up the Skywalker series part of this series i think that we're now going to explore it i imagine through these installments uh of prequels and what have you but then moving forward they're hopefully going to be building new trilogies with new characters and new galaxies and new planets and all that's what i want i want so we can hope for that i mean i will break the i i want new characters except i do kind of want a very young princess leia movie where she's a spy well we're gonna get that i think eventually like that's the one that i want because i mean even in like the old like star wars radio dramas Mm -hmm. there's like scenes where she's on alderaan she's like spying on government conversations yeah. reporting back I mean, to her I, dad. I, I like, guess I do too. That feels, to like, the, that feels like the coolest yeah. of all these movies. Yeah. And it feels like the only one they seem not to be planning, but I'm sure it's happening well, somewhere. Because you'd be seeing a, I know a Millie character Bobby Brown we know. She wants to do it. Sure. That'd be perfect. We, you, you, we'd be seeing a character we know do something completely different. The yeah. thing with the solo movie is same fucking guy. Yeah. You know, that's just like a James Bond yeah. movie. Almost. Fairly, I, I will you say know how I feel about James Bond movies. Not a fan. Negatively. Well, I can't so wait to do the World, world is, is Not Enough, because <laughs> he's a really big James Bond fan. Negative. Um, but I, I would also say, too, that the, a young Leia movie, uh, you know, with respect to Carrie Fisher, and we don't even know what they're doing with Leia's character in, in Episode Nine now. I think there's any number of permutations, but it's going to take some time before people can figure it out. So oh, yeah. just, so we'll just Rogue I, One her. Just put her in it. So here are some random facts that I've accumulated along the way that I think are really interesting that I think we should talk about. And then we should get into the plot of this movie because it's been an hour and 12 minutes and we haven't really talked about it. This is going to be a long podcast, guys. Yeah, just FYI. Uh, In November 2015, Ron Howard confirmed that he, Robert Zemeckis, and Steven Spielberg were approached by Lucas to direct The Phantom Menace. All three approach directors told Lucas that he should direct the film himself and that it was too daunting. Personally speaking... Like, why would any of them want to do this movie? And I don't say that no. in the sense of they read the script and they didn't want to do it. It's just like there's no upside for them. I mean, for these for these guys anyway, who had already sort of etched a, a place for themselves. I wish they had. I wish they each took one just for the fun of it. I just I'm not no, nothing against Lucas. Just for the I fun of it. Know. It just would have been. It would have been exciting. Maybe they would have all flopped like Ron Howard just did. But it would have been fun. But he also was handed something at like. We have, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. So here are a handful of actors that were approached to play Qui Gon Jinn. Vin Diesel, Morgan Freeman, Tom Hanks, Kyle McLaughlin, Kurt Russell, and Denzel Washington. Who's Morgan Freeman? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't exist anymore. But 
the other ones, I mean, what is what is Tom Hanks's Qui Gon Jinn? He wanted he very like reluctant. He wanted it to be an American. Like that was his big thing. I he wanted Qui Gon to be an American, and yeah. then he was like, and but Liam Neeson has a presence. Yeah, and it's yeah. like yes, yes, get Liam Neeson. He's the obvious. Like he's yeah. the most yeah. no brainer yeah. Jedi choice yeah. you could make. Like, it's yeah. so crazy to me that like I mean I I can see a version of it as Morgan Freeman or Denzel Washington to a certain extent. I certainly can't see it as Kurt Russell, Vin Diesel, or Kyle MacLachlan, but like Denzel Washington would be very, very cool though. It could have been very, very interesting. interesting about that, but he's probably wish, thinking as lucky stars it didn't happen. I always I, wish they had done an actual East Asian actor yeah, or Asian American actor for these roles because yeah. he wanted to share a Mufune to be yeah. either yeah. Darth Vader or Obi Wan Kenobi way back in the day, and now he had. Yeah, they would have been really cool. The, the, the Ken Watanabe version is so interesting, but I also but. wonder why it wasn't just Samuel Jackson. You know, I yeah, remember no. Samuel Jackson came out and basically begged to be in the movie. Do you remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he begged for a purple lightsaber. Yes. They, they gave yeah. him the, the purple. naysayer that was, on the Jedi Council. That was second. That was, the, that was the second demand, was the purple lightsaber. The yeah. first one is, I will play any role in these movies. Yeah. I, will play, I remember the quote. I said, I will play Lando's father. I will play Luke Skywalker's slave. Um, and he got Mace Windu. Sure. Who, it mattered. certainly mattered more in the in the. They gave him more movies. in the yeah. That'd be, because they realized he was the only cool person that they put in these movies. Yeah, but he would have been an interesting Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. Uh, some potential Obi Wan Kenobi's: Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> Hugh Jackman, Tim Roth, Harry Connick Jr. The first three all would have worked really well. Oh, Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> this is the fam- that, that's the famous <laughs> one I always remember. It's that's so it. weird. Could you imagine? I love. We love you, Harry. Who's yeah. definitely listening to this podcast? Yeah, I, I actually do love Harry. I have a problem with Harry. <laughs> this guy as loves copycats. Yes. As an actor, okay, the guy okay, is okay. big copycat fan. Super, he is, no, he's really great. But yeah, but super charismatic. I don't. I mean, yeah. maybe Kenneth. I could maybe see him. He certainly seems like if you think about Alec Guinness in a vacuum, and you think right. who has right. today or in 1999, who has in 1999 what Alec Guinness had? Mm-hmm. It's Kenneth Branagh, but he doesn't physical appearance doesn't seem like young Alec Guinness. Like no. he doesn't have that energy of Alec Guinness. He's a very yeah. different man. You McGregor, McGregor was the perfect choice. choice. Ethan uh, Hawke, well, you know, Larissa Olianek was apparently considered for Padme from 10 things I hate about you. So good in 10 things I hate about you. She was great. Um, this was the first Star Wars movie not to win an Oscar. Interestingly, Just saying. Natalie Portman was really no bigger star than Larissa Olianic at the. I mean, no, a little bit, a little bit professional. Yes, uh, and she'd been in one other thing. Too. Oh, beautiful it was, girls. It was, girls. It was oh, last yeah. week's anywhere but here. She was well. That was shot after this movie. But she. Oh, yeah. you're right. That's yes. fair. But I, I will say that Natalie Portman. It's amazing in this we're doing movie, Natalie Portman movies back to back. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, until, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, I think that. Um, Welcome back to. Portman like it's 1999. <laughs> she's, she's just, I, I feel for her in this movie because I feel like she's, she's a lot better when she's not in the costume. The gay outfit. When she's in the costumes, she looks fucking miserable and she's emoting and there's nothing like, it's just, she's just blank and she's clearly uncomfortable and it's just not working. The costumes are magnificent, but Beautiful. She doesn't look happy. The one when shot she's, of her looking out the window with the, yeah, the red, the famous amazing. red dress. Yeah. That's iconic. That's it's, right. it's 
unbelievable that this film didn't win best costume quite frankly i'm not i yeah. wonder uh, what did I'm trisha, find, yeah. trisha, find out. trisha bigger did the costume she, so uh, unbelievable say, i don't costume. know who won that year i think that natalie portman works in this film when she's not when she's playing whatever the assistant to the queen or whatever her i don't know what her anyway her handmaidens her loyal apprentice or something her protectors her sure her dark knights <laughs> <laughs> um I think that she and Natalie Portman has said as much that that of the Star Wars movies, this is the one that she dislikes her performance in the most. I think she was just in over her head. She was being thrown into something. What won Best Costumes, Kenny? I'll give you the nominees. Okay. Titus. Mm-hmm. Talented sure. Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Anna the King. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and the winner. Sleepy, Sleepy Hollow? No, those are only four nominees. Anna the oh. King. And the, no, none of those were the winners. Oh. The winner... Topsy Turvy. Interesting. Great costumes. Yes. Great sure. costumes. We're Great not... costumes in Talented Mr. Ripley, by the way. So this yeah. is Sleepy very, Hollow had good costumes. the clothing in Talented Mr. Ripley yeah. is so important. I would say that he wants Star to Wars becomes somebody become else. Somebody. Yeah, like, I mean, sure. it's a, it's a big uh, Star Wars, as far as I can tell, was nominated for... I can't believe this was nominated for costumes. That's actually a travesty. Three, I it's, see... Uh, yeah, I see three technical nominations. What were the nominees? Sorry, for, what was the nominees? for the sound in this it was movie? Sleepy I mean, Hollow they, it didn't win, but it was nominated for sound effects, editing, and sound. Sleepy Hollow and in the King. Talented Mr. Ripley, Titus, Topsy Turvy. I would have taken Titus to me, out of the it, equation. It's insane and, that, and ben, that Ben Burt doesn't win anything for the sound editing in this it's, movie for, it's the, for the pod race alone. This is a yeah. This is a hugely. It's almost a more sonic yeah. movie than the original trilogy. They, it's, they it's must. All over the place. Yeah, people really probably hated it because it also didn't yeah. get an editing nomination, which um, seems like that's the kind of yeah. thing that it, Matrix famously won this year. So it does seem like the kind of thing that yeah. people. Yeah, people turned on this movie. Yeah. I, 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 here's a question. Natalie performance. Natalie Portman's performance, I think, in Clones is the strongest of the three. Probably because their book ended with two. She doesn't really have much to do in she Phantom have Menace. Have to do in the in Revenge of the Sith to really For sure. even say. But, but I will say that in in Clones, she's the feistiest. She's the the most excited. You know what I mean? I like she feels it's like the, she's actually. It's the, I call it aggressive yeah. negotiation. She's running around with the yeah. blaster at the end, and she's yeah. doing cool stuff. And yeah, yeah. But she's fun in this. One. I like her little runner in Phantom Menace where. She is saying constantly, I don't know that this we should be trusting idea. our fate yeah. to this yeah. boy we hardly know. And Qui-Gon's yeah. like, trust me, the queen trusts my judgment. And like, it's nothing but Qui-Gon like bad mouthing the queen. Like she didn't know what's going on. It doesn't matter. And you yeah. just, you can see Padme just sort of clench. It's very like, I like that little runner. Um, Benicio del Toro was almost Darth Maul. That's kind of cool. Which is, yeah, interesting. But also yeah. you would never know. Yeah, yeah, I actually really liked him in Last Jedi. I thought he was great. I think he's so I love yeah, DJ. Yeah, he was awesome. I love DJ. And he's so good at these kinds of weird off-the-chain... He would have done something interesting. He's like a henchman and licensed to kill 10 years before. Yeah, he's, he's great. So crazy. In that uh, George Lucas approached David Hare to write the screenplay and even co-direct the film. Uh, Lucas confessed he had reservations about working with the actors and hoped that he could focus on the action while Hare focused on the acting. Hare declined. Um, interesting. I don't know what that movie is. Um, you know, to, to hire a, a playwright, I, it's, just, it's, just, it's just interesting that it seems, and again, what the fuck do I know? What do any of us know? But it seems like Lucas is kind of going around the town a yeah. bit. If you had been standing next to, to George Lucas, he would have asked you if you wanted to direct this movie. Like, it kind it of feels like, he was like trying that. to give it away. And everyone was just like, dude, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want the pressure. I don't want any of this. Like, it's, it's all you. 
and 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 it's kind of it it's kind of a bummer and not just because taking his his technical prowess out of the equation it's just sort of like i feel for the guy i feel for lucas in hindsight looking back on this film and saying like my god there was just no way he was just there was no way this film was going to meet the expectations that that it was that was and then on top of that a couple years later you've got not a couple but a handful of years later you've got crystal skulls where you've got your first indiana jones film in 18 years if i'm not mistaken something like that and you know that time he brings spielberg along for the ride and they both get the shit kicked out of them (laughs) deservedly so so phantom menace is a million times better than that movie i i I don't agree begin This is a conversation that Phil and I have. You like a Kingdom I, 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 of the Crystal I don't have the same skull? problems that everybody else has with that film. I mean, I don't... Like is a strong word. I think there's stuff in it that... I feel about Crystal Skulls the way Eric feels about Phantom Menace, which is that Eric... Eric see, isn't aware that Phantom Menace isn't a good movie. Are you aware that it's... I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that Eric... And I say that in the sense that I look at Crystal... He was also 10. You were 30. I mean, what's going on? I don't think I was. I was 28. Um, I I think that Crystal Skulls, and we're not going to turn this into a podcast about Crystal Skulls, but I think that I look at Crystal Skulls and say, there's a handful of things that work in this. Is it it plural? Crystal Skulls. skulls? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Singular? I think. Pretty sure it's singular. I mean, I'm not the super fan. I'm not a super fan. I'm not a super fan either. Clearly, I'd have it right, wouldn't I, Kenny? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) My point is... We're going to cut this 20 minutes. We're about to spend... It's not going to be 20 minutes. I just just want to say that I think that there's a handful of stuff in in Crystal Skull. I think it's plural, but I could be wrong. Singular. Um, Okay, fine. Uh, That... Elicits the response, the 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 lover of Indiana Jones, and I, there's a there's a couple. I get what you're saying. Whereas, so I, I I'm not going to defend the movie. I'm just saying that I think that there's something interesting about that. That being said, uh, another little thing That's that fun. I love. I'm glad we did that. I'm super surprised you like that love, movie. I just love making Phil do that. Uh, <laughs> in Anakin's home, there's a wooden model of Maz. There's a wooden model that looks up. A hell of a lot like Maz. I was going to point it out. Which is kind I, of I nuts. wrote it in my notes because I noticed it after Force Awakens. And then I took to the internet like I was the first person to discover this. <laughs> yeah, sure. And found that yeah, there was just a million people. nothing but people <laughs> screenshotting that already. But I definitely thought I was the first to discover the Maz. He's also got, weirdly, a silver spray painted. Because I had this when I was a kid. It was like a Nerf lacrosse thing. And you would load like a foam ball onto it and like flick it. And he just has it like dangling above his bed. It's just there. It's just a, a piece of it's Nerf just, equipment. It's just what he plays with. Why it's not? Just like he, yeah. he has Can we all agree that it's Nerf fucking ridiculous that Anakin builds C-3PO? It's certainly a, Small world. a bit of, let's call it, Kurosawa immaculate reality <laughs> so, that it took that left turn. Let, let, all right. Another thing I wanted to talk about. I love that about the Star Wars universe. Uh-huh. I get that that is a bit of a bridge too far. The nine-year-old Anakin uh-huh. is building this... Incredibly complex droid, though I can I believe, believe it. I can believe the droids are everywhere. Droids are everywhere, yeah. right? It may not be that hard at this point yeah. for a child to build a droid. Like kids use, you know, it would be inconceivable that a child could use an iPod yep. fifty years ago. Today, it's second nature. I, I am not comfortable. People might jump all over me because of this, because I know there's like a lot of defenders, but I am not comfortable with the idea that Ray comes from two inconspicuous people. I, I, I really desperately want Ray, Ray's lineage 
yeah. to intertwine with the lineage. It's not going I know. I know. Well, yeah. It's yeah. over. It's I, over. I, but, and I hope it, it stays that way. And, I agree. In nine, it, it certainly could be retconned, but it does seem like that's pretty definitive in The Last Jedi. And I, I personally love it. But yeah, I do too. I don't know. That's, that's, I know that people love it. And I feel like I understand intellectually why people love it. I love, I, I get the idea that being a Jedi should not be hereditary it should not be the domain of one family or or one lineage or one type of person it should be something that's and it's 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 definitely hinted at in this movie this idea that that anakin was made of midichlorians right then it's, it's immaculate conception like that's pretty fucking possibly obvious, he but, was conceived by the midichlorians yes. which is he was, that's the fucking line. ridiculous we'll get there we'll get we'll get to midichlorians it's it's, it's <laughs> whatever but I think I think so much of the charm yes. of the original trilogy yes. is oh wait Luke and Leia are twins oh wait Darth Vader is his father I love and then and then on top of that Force Awakens oh wait Kylo Ren is their son I love but I, and I, that. I think that that's you a, have it with Kylo Ren you have a Skywalker you have and, and we don't know what's going to happen in nine you know if if he's going to he certainly had the opportunity to flip and he hasn't but there's. You certainly have that in the form of Kylo Ren. And to me, it's exactly what you were saying. Like, Rey is a beautiful democratization of the Force. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot. Like, in a similar way that Anakin comes from nothing in this movie, she comes from nothing. His gets into a whole Chosen One sort of Christ prophecy. Right. But that for Rey, I I just think it means so much. I'd I'd like for it to, in some way, be part of a more intelligent design. But doesn't that make it special? Like she she is in no way related to what you think of as the saga characters, and yet she finds her way to them but, anyway by what seems like luck and happenstance and but, all of these it, crazy but, machinations but of the universe. That's not this world, right? That's this is a world where where people are able to move things by harnessing a unseen, unfeeling life force or force thing in the world. On top of that, like literally, they may have conceived a human being. Who became the most powerful human being in the world? This is a world that was clearly created by intelligent design. The Star Wars universe is not our universe, and that's why it's just left me a little cold when Kylo Ren declares, "You come from nothing." It just left when me when he cold. Her. Yeah, <laughs> here's. I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm of two minds on it as well. I I I, I love the soap of it. I mean, I love yeah, that, that. You know I what I mean? Too. And I think that that's something, obviously, that Lucas loves as well. And the I soap that, opera. I think of that's it. a secret sauce of these movies. Yeah. But, but I will was, say that there was we're no not. Way that was going to satisfy you, like if she were a Kenobi, if she were. A, well, a I'm glad Kylo that Ren. we didn't have. You know. I, I'm glad that we didn't have it for for a couple reasons. The first is, and maybe I'm being whatever, but I, I don't think Kylo Ren survives uh, Episode Nine. And I think that 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 should, in theory, be the end of the bloodline. Now, who the fuck knows? And anything's possible, and whatever. But I personally would like to see us be done with it. I, I because I don't want another trilogy of Skywalker oriented things. It seems from all accounts that like seven was going to be Han, eight was going to be Luke, nine was going to be Leia, and then we're done. Now unfortunately with Carrie's passing, who knows what nine is going to be, but I, I just feel like there's a there's a cleanliness to that. I'm not suggesting that I wasn't a little disappointed when I found out that there that that there was nothing. But I also found myself going like, "That's kind of great too." I was thrilled. It's a, it's it's a different. It it's makes a different. It, take. it makes it like this strange Dickensian thing. But I, I also like, I, I would have. I, I'm always in favor of a third way solution. So I would have been. Like, I would have not been happy with 
you know, she's a Skywalker, she's a Kenobi, et cetera. Um, that would have made me think they were lazy, right? Right. Nothing also makes me feel like they punted, right? They, Which I the, get, and that's, e- that's fair. It's the easiest, it's the easiest I, other fair. answer. I am sort of holding out that nine there's a third there's a third option there is that there is a third option that she is she is the force itself she is a a god in the star wars universe which we've never really had like hope to god it's something i haven't thought of and people haven't thought of you know i I also think that and it's something that you've both been sort of circling and i think is i think the secret sauce and one of the reasons why and we will get to the fucking midi chlorins when we get to it (laughs) but here's my thought on why I what I think is special about it is the mysticism. What I love is the force. Me too. I love that. Th- I know you do, yeah. but that that intangibility of that idea of just what makes us special as beings on any planet, it, the interconnectedness of us, and the the power that we all have inside of us that we're just trying to figure out how to tap into. That's the secret sauce to me. That's that's the shit. That's why, and we'll get to the midi clones when we get to it. But that's that's my bump with it is that I don't want something that crystallizes that and removes the, the specialness of that. Aside from maybe blowing up the Death Star in A New Hope, almost every single one of my favorite parts of Star Wars is something that Yoda says in Empire. Like almost every single one. Like everything he says is gold. The dialogue's great. It's super meaningful. His whole luminous beings thing is amazing. Pulling the X-Wing from the swamp, like I said. Everything he says is wonderful. That is Star Wars to me. Yeah. Uh, So this feels like a natural place for us to have a break uh, because we don't expect you to sit through three hours on Star Wars, even though, you know, this is a great conversation and we Mm -hmm. wish that you would continue. Um, So tune in. And if you listen to this like a week after and part two is there, feel free to go right into it. Yeah, no, there's nothing stopping that. Um, But tune in next week for the remainder of this episode uh, where we talk more about solo we talk more about sort of the series uh as a whole uh we have our rankings uh of the star wars movies our ranking zero to 99 of this episode and uh yeah like that at nybart on, on twitter twitter i am at pm iscove on twitter eric and i am at eric t crosco on twitter so rate review subscribe tell all your friends and uh tune in next week for more on uh, star wars eric, episode we, one we'd the love Menace. to have you back next week next week for part two for you to expound more on that sounds like so much fun. I'll be glad to come back in a week to talk more. Thank you. Thanks. I'm sorry we talked so much. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.